I'm Abby Kinney, and you are listening to UpZoned. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to another episode of UpZoned, a show where we take one big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we UpZone it. We talk about it in depth. My name is Abby Kinney. I'm an urban planner in Kansas City, and joining me today, we have back with us once again our regular co-host, Chuck Marone, founder of Strong Towns. Hiya, Chuck. Hey, How is Abby. Disney World? <laughs> Orlando. It was, no, it was Disney World. Disney World, okay. I got Joe to do all four parks in two days. So we were we were moving all over the place. Like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, you got to do everything that is like a major ride in, in, in two days. So it was a lot of fun. And it's fun just to be with Joe. And it's I think it's good for my mind to get away and spend that time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can't, can't beat Florida in the summer, right? Oh, I, I don't know. Um, you know, <laughs> I, this week I was in Memphis, uh, giving a talk and both Orlando and Memphis for a Minnesotan are quite harsh this time of year. Uh, I, I want to say it was like 92 or 93 degrees and then like something like 400% humidity. I don't know what it was. It was, it was insane. If we had that here in Minnesota, I I would be miserable. Um, you would be moving north. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so very humid. Yeah, very humid. Yep. We are uh, having the same situation in KC. Lots of humidity. Lots well, of it fun. feels humid here, but we're at like 60%. Oh, and, um, so sorry to hear that. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I say that relatively speaking, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, recognizing that it's much more humid where you're at. But but you, you know, you are used to it to a degree, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm acclimated. Right. I won't complain about 10 below because I'm I'm used to it. But if you came here, I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge you complaining about that. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course not. Yeah. So the article that we will be covering today was published in the New York Times by Emily Badgett and Kwashin Bowie, and it is called The Downtown Office District Was Vulnerable Even Before COVID. So the writers start off with a brief historical perspective of metropolitan migration over time. We all know that during the first major wave of suburbanization following World War II, many residents who had lived in cities left urban centers. Retailers and servicers naturally followed their market not long after. What was left at this time were empty downtown cores with prominent buildings who whose use basically needed to evolve over time in order to survive and save the buildings. This transition bred the urban monoculture we know and love as the downtown office district, supported by newly constructed highways and seas of parking lots. According to CoStar data, 70 to 80% of all real estate is dedicated for office space in some major downtowns. Downtown Boston, for example, is 83% office use. Downtown San Francisco is 73% office use, and Chicago is over 65 This matters because, as the article states, downtowns, like investment portfolios, are more sustainable when they are diverse. 
monocultures we know are inherently unsustainable and this law of nature um, is is prevalent in our economies and our city building practices and and they are subject to this law of nature so the issue surrounding office heavy downtowns were certainly present and prevalent before COVID. But of course, the pandemic has created some major shifts in how we think about officing with the future of office work evolving and uncertain. There's this sharpened debate around what a downtown should be. This is a topic that we've touched on over the past year and some of our other discussions on other topics. And I'm excited to dig into it a bit more because there are so many downtowns that are in a sense office parks in addition to being convention districts or uh, entertainment districts. We've taken, in a sense, what is this kind of Euclidean suburban approach to assigning uses to places, and we've applied that to our downtowns. And you know, unlike the suburban office park typology, downtowns were not originally built to be a monoculture. They just weren't. And so um, it hasn't worked out for downtowns that have really leaned into and sustained this monoculture uh, use approach. I feel like there is a deep Taleb, Nassim Taleb insight here that is easy to apply, but that we often are very like reluctant to do as planners, as, as engineers, as city builders, as urbanists, as, as people living in cities. And Taleb's insight about the financial crisis, about uh, any number of things, is not that you know the economy is going to fail or uh, genetically modified plants are going to fail or you know he's got a whole like list of things like this. But what he points out is that this is by its nature and composition fragile, and fragile things over time are more susceptible to failure. And if you look at cities. The idea in a suburb of having these different monocultures by their nature makes each one very fragile. If for some reason that, you know, you've got all this single family housing and you have a 2008 housing crisis and single family housing drops really low in value and, and you've got, you know, these tax systems that only allow you to raise taxes a certain amount based on rising valuation. There were so many cities that were stuck with these really low valuations and haven't even climbed back to what current rates are, even though we pumped up and, you know, another housing bubble to reinflate prices. These places are really, really fragile. Well, go to your core downtown. And I, I know we like to think of, you know, San Francisco, this dynamic place, New York, Boston, these dy dynamic cities. It is very easy to get a lot of growth and a lot of investment and a lot of uh, economic activity it's very easy to be like the hot, cool place and, and have lots of stuff going on if you go down that monoculture route. If you're like, we're just going to make this really easy to do this one thing over and over and over again at hyperscale. And, you know, I, I think for a long time you could plausibly argue, well, it's working, it's great, it's wonderful. But the Taleb in the back of our mind should have been telling us this is really fragile. This is really not the best strategy to have something that's going to last a long time. And I think we can get into the reasons why it is kind of manifested to be fragile. But I feel like, you know, as we look around and analyze different parts of our development pattern, that should be the thing that jumps out at us. I mean, 
I love Broadway. It's great. It's wonderful. I've been there. It's fantastic. You've got all these theaters grouped together. Like I get it. Broadway pretty much stunk for the last year and a half. And it stunk because it was shut down. And that, you know, you can say, well, that no one could have seen that coming. That was a temporary thing. Yeah, sure. But it happened and it could happen again and it could happen again. And that's not, you know, a very stable way to build a place, even though we love it. Well, it's the analogy that you have used in the past. Uh, do we have a rainforest or do we have a sharecropping model? Because in a rainforest, when one thing fails or dies out or, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't do as well, another thing will come in its place. And there's kind of this natural balance that happens. And the article poses this question that I really love, and it's the question of what should a downtown be? And I think it's an important question that actually gets answered in the statement about diversification. A downtown really should just be a little bit of everything. And, you know, in addition to being a place where people can commute and work, it should also be a place where people live and a place where people go and make things or a place where people go out on the weekend or relax by themselves. Uh, and to have that kind of conversation, we need to get away from the idea that we can just prescribe outcomes in a place that's really intended to support a variety of different uses. And it should be pretty clear to planners and real estate folks everywhere that a monoculture approach to land use is ultimately flawed and it's really just an ineffective framework. One of the most important things I think that cities can do to support more vibrant and sustainable downtowns is to understand that downtowns are ultimately neighborhoods, which is really not typically how we've thought of downtowns over the past 70 years. And some of the more forward-thinking communities have recognized this, and they've actually built a lot of residential in their downtown. From a planning and development perspective, this means that you know, we support as much residential as possible and make investments that support residential living. And that, I, I think that has big implications for even like how we design our streets, for example, because when we treat downtowns like office districts or entertainment districts or convention districts, a place that people go to and don't actually live in, vehicle access and parking becomes the highest priority, right? Because you're trying to justify people coming into this place and it completely, as we know, degrades the design of our downtowns. We tear down buildings for parking lots and we build freeways to go through neighborhoods leading to downtown and basically through the downtown too. So it's just a horrible way to build cities. And we we if we recognize downtown as neighborhoods, it flips the priorities of how we actually design public space and even use private property by focusing on what the needs and desires are of the market that's there, the people who live there, instead of begging people to come visit or come work, you know, coming in for some other reason. I just think we should just make downtowns a place that people actually want to live and will actually stay. Yeah, I think it's a point well taken. In the early days of going out and giving talks around the country, I, I did this presentation called the curbside chat and I would go through and I, I, I still include this often, th this picture of my hometown from 1871 
is a little collection of pop-up shacks. And then, and then I fast forward like 34 years and I show the next iteration with these two and three story buildings. And then I fast forward another 40 years and show the, the concrete and brick buildings. And one of the critiques that I received a lot on that and still do is that, well, that, that's really cute, Chuck, but that's small towns. That's the way small cities work. And I, I, I was able to come across and find uh, some examples of essentially Times Square going through the same iteration. And I used those in a, a TED Talk that I gave uh, where I, I showed, you know, here we don't have early, early versions of Times Square because the land was developed like pre-camera, but we can pick it up like in the middle of the story. And you can see how the neighborhood just evolved and evolved and evolved. If we think about this, Leon Creer, I think, says this the best. He's a, a great architect, and he's done a lot of work on urbanism and urban form. What he would argue is that a great large city is basically just like a more mature rendition of a small city. In other words, you get a bunch of small cities together. They're basically neighborhoods. You get a bunch of neighborhoods together, you bring them together, and, and they start to like mature and make this larger whole. Today, as we reach a certain level of maturity, we start to impose this idea that no, you're no longer a neighborhood, you're a business district. And you're no longer a neighborhood, you're an entertainment district. And you're no longer a neighborhood, you're a, a high density residential district, and you're a medium density residential district. And the reality is, is we can look at cities, whether they're here in North America, and I would point to like Charleston, the core old historic Charleston, which is like this very mature version of my city, which is, it's basically like a hundred years ahead of my city or 150 years ahead when they froze it in place. Or you can go overseas. I, I remember the first time I was in Milan or in, in Paris. And what you're looking at are like six story, you know, buildings, uh, cities that essentially like another couple hundred years of maturing under their belt. If you go to any of those neighborhoods in the historic parts of those cities, none of them are, this is the exclusive office space. This is the exclusive residential space. It's all this kind of mature mixing of humanity. And the thing that's beautiful about that, or the thing I think that adds the most value to that, 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 especially a place like Kansas City where you live should really be embracing is the idea that if you want to live in a very dense urban area, you can do that and have a complete neighborhood. And if you want to live in kind of this, you know, middle kind of area, you can do that and have a complete neighborhood. And if you want to live in very low density, a single family home type of neighborhood, you can do that and have a complete neighborhood. The experience will be different. You're not going to have theater probably in the single family home district. You will have it in the core. You, you're not going to have a baseball stadium in the single family district. You might have it in the core. If we go back to like ancient Rome, you're not going to have the Colosseum and the circus and, and you know, the, the what have you in, 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 in out in the edge. You're going to have that in the core. But, you know, you can have a nice little neighborhood theater in the single family district. In other words, you can have a scale for everything in every district. That is the way we historically built cities. And it was adaptable. It was flexible. It continued to grow and evolve over time. And it was really productive and strong. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about, you know, my own city when reading this article in that 
the insights that apply to downtowns most definitely about diversification is true for all different districts. And I I think a better word for districts of what we're kind of trying to describe here are villages. Because when I think of Kansas City, it's it's a streetcar city and many other cities are streetcar cities in the United States. And cities that were built this way are essentially a collection of villages with a downtown core. And and that's really, you know, the, the idea that these different places need to follow this method of diversifying housing types, diversifying uh, the types of businesses that are supported and really scaling the amount of center that there is to support the businesses and the services, all the things that kind of are the the center of these areas um, is, is incredibly important. And so that that's really what, what this made me think of. And during the pandemic, I certainly noticed that not just in downtown, but in many village centers, as I'll call them, this idea that residential proximity, it impacted whether or not these areas were able to support the businesses that are within these areas. So places that were more oriented towards office uses or being entertainment districts. I think of, you know, Westport, for example, is not very residential. It's much more uh, oriented towards people from outside coming in on weekends. And that really drives the business atmosphere as compared to um, other places in Kansas City that, that are very, very much oriented towards residential. It made a huge difference. And that's something that I think is that a lot of business districts are becoming more aware of after the pandemic, the importance of having a stable base of residents before anything else. That's that's really where the stability comes from. I want to talk about finance before we get done, because there's some weird financing things that have really made this a disaster. But you said something earlier about running highways through neighborhoods and that, and I, I thought that was a, a point worth lingering on. There's this certain, I want to use the word cannibalization, but it's its really not that, it's, it's like a destruction that we do by insisting on this monoculture development pattern. If, if you look at like downtown Manhattan or you look at downtown Kansas City, the broad experience of downtown Kansas City in the morning is everybody driving in to go to work. And then during the day, there's some activity going on. And then in the afternoon, it's everybody exiting the city. And so in order to accomplish what is basically like, I'm going to guess 85, 90% of the people who work downtown do not live downtown, we have to do great damage to the surrounding neighborhoods of the downtown in order to accommodate this flow. I think from an economic standpoint, people would argue, well, this gives people greater mobility, greater access to jobs. They can live wherever and get wherever and da-da-da-da. And, and I, I think there's a certain argument there that we can't dismiss. But what has happened is that because we went the fast growth monoculture route, the, the, the more fragile route, what we should really have in the downtown is a situation where 75%, 80% of the people who work downtown live downtown. 
And they don't live in monoculture. They live in a really great urban center with all kinds of, you know, stuff going on. And then there's another group, 20, 25%, who live other places who come in. Now, that could be done in a way that's compatible with the whole region. That could be done in a way that doesn't destroy and degrade your neighborhoods. And you could still have lots of mobility and still have lots of options. But but you would also have great neighborhoods. You'd also have great places. It seems to me like what we did in order to grow very, very quickly is slide into this and I'm going to say, you know, this top down, this very efficient, this very orderly monoculture type of model so that we could get that office building again and again and again. And we could get that housing development on the edge again and again and again. And all we had to build was the transportation connection between the two. And what we wound up with is two really fragile ends with a whole lot of destruction in between. And I, I think that that is going to be the history of the 20th century is this kind of conundrum we created for ourselves with treating our cities like machines as opposed to these complex adaptive rainforest-like environments that they actually are. Well, and perhaps that gets us to the financial discussion because, you know, of course, when you have a real estate product, you have the financing that backs up this product that this is the office district and this is where the people work and here's the subdivision product and this is where the people live and here's the grocery store retail center and here's where the people shop and we all put them miles away from one another and you know fill the rest in with subdivisions and that's that's the society that we build now and and then you know that downtown uh, had to become this area that you know, people work here, but they don't live here and they, they have to drive miles and miles out on the edge every day to commute back and forth. It, it's, it's unfortunate. And I think that, you know, some might say that we transition downtowns into these uh, destination districts in order to save them because they needed to transition into something. And I think that's sure, that's an argument that you could definitely make, but I think a lot of cities that are much more successful these days have made that transition away from that model. They mentioned Austin, Texas being one of them. And that is a city that, you know, they mentioned in this article, it, they've been transitioning out of being a monoculture district uh, for 20 years. And still they even struggled during the pandemic and didn't have enough residents in the downtown. And, and they are a pretty heavily residential downtown area. So in comparison, know, right. In, in comparison. And so I, I think that there is this clarity um, that it's going to take a long time for downtowns to transition from, from being a single use or somewhat single use dominant district to being a full and complete neighborhood and that it takes a while to, to get to that point, right? Well, let me let me pile on the, uh, the negativity here just for a minute, and then maybe we can end happy <laughs> in some way. I, I think we are underappreciating as a society how difficult it's going to be to fix the finance of this stuff. We're now flirting with this inflation conversation. And it's interesting because there have been a lot of people like me who have been saying, We've just suppressed inflation and it is going to roar. And, and, you know, I've been saying this for 15 years plus and have not been proven out to be true. 
now we're starting to see like inklings of, okay, we're going to have inflation. It's going to be around a long time. We certainly have seen uh, real estate, if not bubble inflation, then, you know, what have you. We, we've had really, really high real estate prices. And a lot of this is because we have based a lot of our economy on how quickly we could build and by extension, how quickly we could finance and get money into real estate. Uh, this manifests in you know you and me buying homes and and what the prices that we would pay for, uh, and, and it also manifests in people buying these commercial real estate products. Right now, we've created this great mechanism for financing growth and development in the U.S., and it involves people building standardized products in standardized places selling them as commodities onto markets, having those markets injected with lots of money and lots of liquidity in order to keep like the sluices flowing, keep all the things moving in the economy. And, and then, you know, split up and sold off and created in these, you know, large securities packages and, and sold off to people all over the world. Those are not easy to unwind. And when, you know, when we look at like a condo unit that collapses in Miami and we're like, you know, get frustrated with a homeowners association that couldn't come to an agreement to maintain a building. And then you recognize that not only have we created homeowners associations, but we've created multiple ownership schemes among multiple pension funds and multiple retirement accounts and multiple uh, banks and different entities that all have ownership stake in these huge monolithic structures that are designed to do one thing and their entire like growth portfolio is based on that thing happening over and over again for decades without any modification or change to it and then we're like oh my gosh that was a bad idea we should do something different and you change your plan and you change your zoning code and you change all this and nothing happens and nothing happens because the financing of it is all stuck and it, it's stuck in a way that Actually, the things we're doing to juice the economy, printing money, pouring money in the system, having the Fed buy every mortgage that's originated, buy all these commercial real estate loans, is actually making the problem worse. And so th there really is no kind of obvious or apparent like easy way to work this out. It's almost like it has to, and I, I hate saying this because it makes me sound crazy, but it almost like that needs to kind of fail and 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 kind of collapse on itself and then be reconstituted in a different, more localized, more manageable way. Maybe some genius will come up with a way to unwind this easier, and I know people are working on that. But you know, if you got a pension fund that owns one percent of some stupid building along with a hundred other pension funds that own 1% of the same building. And they've got to have, you know, a majority agreement to change this or change that. And like, how do you even get, how do you get that? Back in my planning days, I worked with uh, some timeshare units. Timeshare units from the seller standpoint are awesome because you can sell a product really cheap and you can magnify that many times. So I can sell the same unit 52 times because I can sell it for one week a year and I can sell it really cheap because you get it for one week a year. But if you look at the profits, it's astounding. But once you walk away from that unit, you have 52 owners for that unit. And if you've got a hundred units in that building, that's 5,200 owners. And if you need a majority vote to fix the HVAC machine, 
How in the heck do you even constitute getting that put together? It's really hard. And then if you want to do something tough or difficult, like refinance or change it or redo things, well, now take that over to office space and take that over to rental space and take that over to retail space. We wanted to grow this economy really fast and we created this Gordian knot that I don't know how you really unravel. I really don't. Well, I think we'll end on that note. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let let me just say that if we're going to try to say something positive, then I will just say this. (laughs) I do think that um, there's a lot to be learned here. And I do think that there's a lot of people who are going to have really good careers figuring this stuff out at the ground, at the bottom up. And I think it's going to create a lot of opportunities for people of good intention to fix some of this stuff. So I, I am hopeful that that, but it's not going to be easy. Yes, it won't be easy. And yeah, I like to think that, that the, the failure of these kinds of systems may not look like what we think failure might look like. I think, I think when we think of things failing, we think of like the, you know, crash of 08 or 07, whenever that was. And that's kind of the picture that we have in our head. And, you know, unraveling can, I think, look many different ways that we may not even recognize as unraveling uh, while it's happening. You know, there may be things unraveling right now that we're not really even realizing that we're in this like transitionary period. I will say that the finance stuff is a little bit above my head. So (laughs) hopefully there are geniuses that are figuring this stuff Uh. out. Yeah, I would say it's it's not, but maybe we should talk about it someday because you yeah. maybe just not exposed as much, but it's certainly not beyond your capacity to grasp, right? Yeah, it would be yeah. great to have a better understanding of of all of that, really, and yeah. understand the people who are working on this and and how they're seeing how to, how you unravel these kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we will end with that and on a positive note, which is great, um, and go into the down zone. So the down zone is part of the show where we can share anything that we have been reading, watching, anything that's been captivating our attention these days. So Chuck, besides going to Disney World, anything on your radar? A few weeks ago, I mentioned the book, The Benedict Option. And I can't remember if I mentioned it here or on the Strong Towns podcast, but someone called me on it and said, you kind of mischaracterized it and missed the point of the book. And I appreciated that input. I had read it in kind of like a very cursory way. I didn't say I really delved into it. I kind of flipped through it and, and, and felt like I grasped part of it. I went back and did an audiobook and listened to the entire thing. And I have to say that the person who gave me the comment was right. I did mischaracterize it. I actually really enjoyed the book. It's a book just about, I would say, ways to be a Catholic in modern secular society. And, you know, I, I found a lot of it challenging. I found a lot of it, maybe things that I, I would need to spend some time thinking about, and I have. But uh, it was well worth the time. And um, yeah, I would encourage people to, you know, if that's something that interests you, I would encourage you to read it. It was well worth my time to take it a little bit deeper than I did before. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's an interesting question about how Catholicism kind of operates within a modern day society. As you know, you probably know that that I grew up Catholic. And so 
Yeah, it is. It is an interesting question. And I've kind of been like revisiting some of the philosophies and you, you see it different when you grow up. Um, you know, you, you don't fully understand it when you're a kid. And so it, it's interesting how, how kind of the lessons that you learn through, I think, any religious practice become much more clear as you get older. And on that note, I actually went to a Catholic wedding last weekend. <laughs> yeah, my the first wedding I've been to um, probably since my wedding, <laughs> like three years ago. So it's been a really long time. <laughs> but um, yeah, I went to, I, I traveled across the state to my hometown in St. Louis and uh, the wedding was in St. Charles, Missouri, which I, I'm not sure if you've visited before. I hadn't spent a lot of time growing up in St. Charles and was just really, really impressed with the old old town St. Charles, like old Main Street downtown area. We spent a lot of time walking around and kind of going into different shops. And it was just really, it was just really nice. And it was like a place that I, I wasn't aware of growing up. I don't know if you're aware of downtown St. Charles. I don't think I've been to St. Charles. No. I it's, mean, it's a great name, but. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> lovely. I, I, it, it's a, you know, it's an old, it's their old town area and everything's brick and it's really a nice place. And it's right, right adjacent to the, I believe I want to say the Missouri river. I, I hope it's not the Mississippi, but it might be. Um, but it's just adjacent to the river and the Katy Trail connection. And so they have a lot of really cool shops and things to do. And it's just a great, it's a great place to hang out. So I, I remember as a kid, we spent some time um, in St. Charles when I was very young for like, they, they turn it into like a Christmas town when, um, when that season comes up, but I just really barely remembered it until I visited it last weekend. So sweet. Shout out to St. Charles. Tell me this. Um, I know I I was in Disney World in November doing a project for Strong Towns, actually. And that was the middle of the pandemic and everyone's masked up and distanced and everything's closed. And now I'm back and it's it's very much not that. I mean, there's you have to wear masks on the buses and during transportation stuff, but not anywhere else. And and you know, I I made the comment last November, it's wasn't the happiest place on earth, but it was kind of the safest. And now you know, you're there and people are smiling again. People are able to, I'm sure they were smiling before, but now you're able to see it and you're able to (laughs) kind of share that with people. And I think, you know, that had to be kind of fun at a wedding to see people gathering again and people smiling and people, you know, being able to embrace a little bit and enjoy themselves. I think appreciate it a little bit more. At least I did. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's nice to see strangers and see their faces. It was definitely eerie over the past year just to not, you know, to look people in the eyes and not be able to see the rest of their faces. It's very, very weird. And so it's just nice to go go somewhere new and, and see people and see people are out. And so, yeah, it's definitely good for the psyche. I felt a lot of appreciation just for that simple thing. So, yeah, that's a a good thing to come out of the pandemic with some deeper appreciation, right? Yes. Deeper appreciation for the human face. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, Chuck. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Abby. Thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Upzone to keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Chuck. Take care.